Good morning, church. Glad you're here. It's easy to come on Easter. It's harder to come the week later. And I'm glad you're here because we as a church, we pray and we seek that we can inspire one another. And the reason we gather on Sunday mornings is for no other reason but to have you look around and see people that you didn't know were believers and think, I'm not alone in this. To see people who know your story and worship God with you together safely and easily. And this is healthy for us to be together. So I, I don't say this as a preacher needing an audience on a Sunday morning. I say it with sincere, sincere heart as a brother in Christ. Your being here is important to us. And we want to encourage you and inspire you. I want to tell you about Christ Church, not that puts it above other churches, but I want us to have this conversation so you understand that where we're going and, and why that, that video declares what we're about. We began in February of 2012 as a church to go through a series of messages called The Message. And what we did, if you were with us, is for 86 weeks, we looked at the teachings of Jesus. What did he say for us to do? What did he tell us to think about? What did he tell us to become? And for those 86 weeks in that series, we listened to the words of our Savior. Then we did a a sermon series called The Return Challenge, where listening to what Jesus told us to do, we saw some things in front of us that we should be doing. And so we challenged our congregation to sacrifice, not only financially, but physically and spiritually, to be in prayer and to sacrifice so that we could do some things. And and I want to thank you, because Hope City Church has been open now for three weeks. And last Sunday on Easter, they had 672 people there. Now, because of what I do, I know some people roll their eyes and go, it's always about the numbers. Nope, it's about 672 people. And that matters. Because a bunch of them we don't know, and they're hearing the gospel presented for the first time, and the return challenge is being met. And there's so many other things we're going to do with your sacrifices. But I love that we could hear Jesus and then do what Jesus told us to do. In January, we began a series on the book of Colossians, which is one of those books when, when, Paul, when the church began that Paul would write to some of these churches he started, and to the Colossians, he wanted us to know Jesus is enough. You don't have to have anything else but Jesus. If you have him, God can do everything he needs to do in your life. And then we went to this series called Keep the Words from the book of Revelation, And in that book, we studied what this King Jesus, who's going to have victory over everything, what did he ask us to do? And we studied for seven weeks the commands in Revelation. What are we told to do? What are we told to hold on to? Why are we told to repent? Why do we worship? Why are we to come out of the world and live differently? Because King Jesus told us to. Today, we begin probably the most instrumental series that we can do as a church, and as you saw The series is called God Is. Because there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. You see, if I know about God, it's the equivalent of having someone's phone number. But do you know him well enough to call him? And for many of us, my fear is we know enough about God to know he's available, but we don't know him well enough to to have a relationship with him. And so the first piece of theology about God that's important to us is the fact that God is knowable. He can be known by us. But I want to caution us that that doesn't mean we'll completely understand God. And I know for a fact we won't know everything about him. And let me explain why. Isaiah chapter 40. Do you not know? Have you not heard? 
The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. So am I lying to you? Did I tell you that you can know God and that the Bible says you can't know? No, you can know God because God has revealed things about himself he wants you to know. He has told you about who he is. He wants you to see his love and heart for you. You see, knowing about God is not the same as knowing him. You can have a relationship with someone, kind of, or you can have a real relationship which is all the way in. The Lord has taught us that nobody can know God unless God teaches him. So to understand who God is, we need to pay attention to what he's revealing. It matters. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of the law. That what's been revealed to us. Now, you can't know everything about God. The Bible says his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts. But when God tells you something about him, church, it's important that we get it. That we pay attention to it. And that we invest in it. Like the words of Jesus, the revelation of God is for us. And it's to our benefit. The prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, and in these I delight, declares the Lord. Jeremiah says that to know God is not to, to, know, it's not to boast that you know God, but it's to know God so that his justice, his righteousness, and his mercy are what we become about. The revelation of God is that we might know him, and by knowing him, remember what we learned last week. If you were with us on Resurrection Sunday, we learned this, that man's mistake is to think that being like God is the purpose of life, when being with God is really the purpose of life. So to know God is to know how to be with him, not how to be like him. And God says, when you know that righteousness and mercy and justice are what I'm after, then you'll know me. And when you know God, life can truly begin. Jesus gave us our hope. So to understand where we've been over the last 26 months as a church, Jesus said in John 14, 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who knows Jesus has seen the revelation of who God is, what God's about, and how much we matter. So today, as you listen to the music, as you sing the words, as you take in the presence of God, as you look around and are encouraged by the number of people who love you and care about you that surround you today in worship, everything we do is to see God revealed so we can be inspired to live. Jesus said this on the night he was betrayed in John chapter 17, now this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. One of the things that God reveals himself to is in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and in the hope of the resurrection we still celebrate today. So in just a few moments, a tray is going to be passed in front of you and it has a piece of bread and a little glass of juice and symbolically the church has used these as was used in the Passover meal that the wine and the bread symbolize something. For us, 
based on what Jesus told us in 1 Corinthians 11, that bread symbolizes his body, which he sacrificed so you and I would not have to die as a sacrifice. And his blood, or the juice, is the blood of the covenant that washes away our sins, that the innocent one was killed for the guilty one that we might live. And this is what we celebrate in the resurrection of Jesus. So this morning, together, corporately, yet individually, but more importantly, as a family, the one thing we all have in common is this. Jesus died for every one of us. So if you have given yourself to that sacrifice and traded his life for yours and you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you, no matter where you come from today, to take that bread and to take that juice. And Jesus said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I come again. So right now, in these next few moments, as God has revealed himself in Jesus, we take because he's given and he gave us his son so we might know him. And for those of you who thought that was the shortest sermon I'd ever preach, I know you're disappointed. <laughs> Open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 31. If you're visiting today, my name's Mark, and I'm one of the ministers on staff, and we really are glad you're with us. As we talk about the most important thing, we can talk about God. God in light, or who we are in light of God, and God and what he's told us about himself. Timothy Keller says... If people don't understand who God is, they don't know how to live with him. And if we don't know who God is, the Ten Commandments become a bunch of regulations that prohibit our fun. If we don't know who God is, the Beatitudes are the idealistic failures of an idealistic teacher. And many people know God, but live in light of God antagonistically. That God's a killjoy. He's over-demanding. He, he doesn't get us. And yet we want you to know that God is knowable because he revealed himself in Jesus so that you would know that you're loved and that the ultimate goal, again, of life is not living like God. It's living with him. Jeremiah wrote this in the 31st chapter of his prophecy in the Old Testament. The time is coming, declare the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. That is the God we need to know. It's the God who wants to disclose himself to us and pursues us. So the question this morning is, why is the pursuit of knowing God important? It's a question, when, I think we think we know the answer, but have we listened to what the word of God says? Because when we do, God is revealing this unfathomable God is being revealed to us. He's showing us who he is. He says, I'm going to establish a new covenant. When he called Abraham, he said, I'm going to establish a covenant with this group of your children, and I'm going to create a nation, and that nation is going to introduce the Savior of all the world named Jesus. But he said to Moses, here's the covenant I have with you. If you keep my commands, I will bless you. And yet there were some limitations to this covenant. In fact, a covenant is nothing more than a commitment between two people that has legal ramifications. So follow with me on that. You know what a covenant is if you know what marriage is. 
It's a commitment between two people that has legal ramifications. That there, it is a contract, if you will, between two people willingly entering into it, committing themselves to these principles, and that there are strings attached to each one's behavior. God says, I'm going to establish a new covenant. In the old covenant, God would appear to them, but it was in a cloud, or a pillar of a cloud, or a pillar of fire, or a burning bush. He'd appear to them in clouds on a mountaintop. That there was this miraculous appearance. He spoke to them through a man named Moses and through prophets. He dwelt among them in a tabernacle. And if you want to know what tabernacle is, it was God's mobile home out in the wilderness. It was this tent that they put up and put down everywhere they went. And then when the tabernacle, the days were done, they built a temple. And in the midst of all of this, God would speak through a man. He would appear miraculously. And he had to be in one location. They had to go to the location where God was. And God says, I'm going to build this new covenant because I married this group of people and they divorced me. So I'm going to re-enter into a relationship with them and it's going to be different this time. It doesn't mean the old one was failed. It simply means that the old marriage was unfaithful. So I'm going to enter into this new relationship. He says, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. And then in Jeremiah 31, 31 again, he says, the time is coming, coming when I will make a new covenant with them. Instead of appearing in a miraculous cloud or a burning bush, he now appears in his son, Jesus. Instead of speaking through a man named Moses, he now speaks through the scriptures and the Holy Spirit. Instead of dwelling in a mobile home or a temple, he now dwells in the hearts and souls of men who have, and women who have been washed by the blood of Christ. It's a new covenant. And church, we ought to be grateful that we're in the new covenant. Because he is revealing himself to us in amazing ways for our own good. Jesus said in John chapter 1 verse 14, or John wrote rather about Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. If you take notes while we teach here, I want you to write down two words, grace and truth. Because if you want to know God, those are the two ingredients in the recipe, grace and truth. It's really that simple of an understanding. In fact, if you have any relationship that matters to you, in that relationship, you have experienced grace and truth. And I know I'm going to be mocked for this, but it's the best I could come up with. The best way to understand how God is revealing himself to us and the importance of knowing it is remember to a relationship that you pursued. Maybe it's the one you're married to. Maybe it's someone you dated. Or maybe if you're young enough, you're thinking of that person at school right now. You haven't done it, but you're taking notes. I'll tell you, any real relationship you have in your life is full of grace and truth. If it's full of only one of them, it's awkward. If it's full of both of them, it's beautiful. And I'll tell you, perfect example. My relationship with my wife, Heather. We dated for three years in college. We got married. We've been married over 25 years. I've almost known the girl for 30 years. Our relationship is full of grace and truth. And guys, I need your help this morning. If you're married and, the wife, and your wife knows the truth about you, the fact that she's still with you is full of grace. Can I have an amen? If you want to have a relationship with God and you're not honest with him about who you are, you can't have a relationship with him. Most of us want the grace of God without the truth of God. And I'm here to tell you that the grace and love of God and the truth of God makes a perfect relationship. And here's the part that you'll roll your eyes at, but I believe it's true, so I go with it. God asked you out. You didn't ask him out. 
And he wants to have a relationship with you that's based on truth. Truth about who he is and truth about who you are. And grace that he shows to you in his love and grace that you show to everybody else in your love. It's really that simple. To know God is to experience God by living in the love and grace and the truth that he offers us. And most of us are stuck because we know that God is love, but we don't really know it in the depths of our everyday life. Or we think we know about God, but we have his phone number, but we're not comfortable calling him. The truth of God is revealed through Jesus Christ so the grace and love of God can be ours, but it doesn't stop there. It becomes residual. Heather knows things about me that I wish nobody knew because I wish they weren't true, but they're what? True. And yet she shows love and grace to me in my worst failures. And our relationship can grow and go because of those two things. Take one of them out and it's fractured. Never to be real ever again. And some of us sit here today in a relationship that doesn't have grace and or truth. And then we wonder why it's empty and lonely because all relationships are built on those two things. Listen to what God says. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. It won't appear on the screen, but the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that every single person, even the person who says there is no God, is lying. Because every one of us knows by creation alone that this did not happen outside of a creator. That there was a power that brought this all to be. And we know there is a God. And God says, I don't want you to know about me. I want you to know me. You see, and that knowing God differentiates Christians from everybody else. The world will say that Christians think they're perfect and they don't sin anymore and they've calmed all of their, all of their problems. And I say to them, you don't know any real Christians. Because no real Christian would tell you they have it all figured out. What a real Christian says is, I know the truth of God and God knows the truth of me and I know the grace of God and I live in his grace. That's what separates us from the world. We know that God can be trusted and we know that he loves us and that God pursues us. Some people say it's arrogant to think you can know God because the Bible says his ways are greater than ours. You can't, it's not arrogant to know what God's told you. It's not arrogant to see what God's revealed in Jesus Isaiah chapter 57, for this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the hearts of the contrite. God wants to be with you. God has been pursuing you before you even thought of it. And some of us, if we can just be honest, and I want to talk at just a very base level this morning, some of us sit here going, yeah, I know God's asking me out, then go out. If you come in here every Sunday going, God really wants to be with me, and you haven't given him your life, and you don't spend time with him, what good is the request if you never follow through with the time? From the beginning in the garden to this moment, God has been after you pursuing you, to love you, to show you who he is so you can lean in faith on him and trust him for eternity. Some of us say it'd be frightening to know God and there's a component of that I'd believe but listen to what John wrote in 2 John. Grace, listen to the three things. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. You see it shows up there again? When you know the truth of God, then the love of God is yours. 
And when you give God your truth and your love, you live the life you're supposed to live. Because remember, the ultimate goal in life is not to be like God. The ultimate goal in life is to be with God in a relationship that matters. So what is this experience of knowing God? How does this connect? You see, I I think it's funny that when we, we look at this, we say, I really need to know God, but some of us just don't know how. Or our attempts in the past have failed. And, and I believe I can say this with some certainty, not, not because I want to be right, but because I believe it's true based on Scripture and based on the community of faith for years and years and years. If your relationship with God is out of sorts or disconnected, then one of the truths that we're talking about today are missing. You either don't know the truth about God, or you know it and won't respond to it, or you don't understand the love and mercy of God and His grace. And I want to show you today that any relationship you have, from my relationships to my sons, to my relationship with my mom and dad, to my relationship with my wife, every one of them, without the proper balance of grace and truth, is not a relationship worth having. It's fake, it's token, it's religious. But it's not alive. So, 1 John chapter 2, I want you to see, it's not just Jeremiah's prophecy that speaks of this, but it says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the church, the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's church, love is truly made complete in him, and this is how we know we are in him. So, let me be a preacher. Do you know God? Do you know God for yourself? Because some of you could come up and make an accusation against this girl called Heather, and I know her well enough that I could look at you and go, nope, she didn't do that, or yep, she did that. Because for 30 years, I know who she is. I know when she's at her best, and I know when she struggles. And she knows when I'm at my best, well, she's seen it once, but when I could be at my best, and she knows when I'm hideous five days a week. So if you walked up to my wife and made an accusation against me, she could say, no, I know him, he wouldn't do that, or yeah, I know him, he did that. Why? Because we live in that balance of the truth about who I am and the grace that she offers me. Verse 33 says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Let me ask you a question. How many people in the world can you call my? I think there are three people. Well, no, five people. No, I can keep going, but let's just go with five. I can say that's my Alex. I can say that's my Braden. I can say that's my Heather, and I can say that's my mom and my dad. And I can't say that about you. You don't belong to me. Some of you I love and I know, but I I don't know if you're mine. But I know those five are. And how do I know that? Because I know they love me, and I hope they know I love them. And they know who I am, and I know who they are. And in that, God says, I want a relationship with you where I can call you mine and you can call me yours. So I want to ask you a simple question. Do you want that? Do you want it beyond I got to keep 10 commandments to make him happy instead of he loves me, he's after me, he wants a relationship with me, and because of that, I'll give him anything. I'll say yes every time. And this is what it means. So I want to give you four things. In a personal relationship with God, knowing God means you listen to his truth. Scriptures are not to be read to gain facts. 
The scriptures of God are to reveal God. I believe every passage of scripture reveals who God is and who I am. I can read a letter written to a bunch of Christians a thousand years ago, and I can read that letter, and I can hear God speaking and revealing himself, and I can hear God through the Holy Spirit revealing who I am. Because there are moments I'm just like the people he's writing to, and there's moments I'm not. But in every one of those moments, the truth of God brings me into his story and says, I love you, I am holy, I am good, you can trust me. Mark, do you trust me? When you read the word of God, answer these basic questions. What is God saying about himself and what is God saying about me? That's not egocentric. It's a living, breathing word of God that speaks to people today. If you want to know the truth of God, when God says something is right, you believe it to be right. And when God says something is wrong, you believe it to be wrong. You open it up and say, why? I don't understand some of the things God asks us to do. I spent a large majority of my life angry at God because in the Old Testament you couldn't have bacon. But it wasn't a big deal, but he said, don't eat bacon. I now absolutely understand the medical reasons why in the Old Testament they weren't allowed to eat pork. But I praise God for Acts chapter 9, when the blanket came down and God said, don't call anything unclean anymore, thank you, Jesus. It reveals I have a good God who loves me very much. So there's truth. When you read the Word of God, if you're reading it as a textbook, you're ruining the message. The message is God says, here I am. And he wants us to say, here I am, sir. Okay. So, second thing we do. In a personal relationship with God, knowing God means to be listened to. And this is where we pray. Because you need to talk to God. You need to express yourself to God. Some of us say, it's just ridiculous. All I'm doing is talking to the ceiling. I don't know what I'm doing. It's boring. It doesn't produce results. Because you're asking God to do things, and you don't know him. I believe this. Prayer is listening to God, listen to us. Why do we ask our children questions when we know the answer? Because we want the truth. And God needs to know. Read the Psalms. There are some people who shake a fist at God and they're furious at him. And God's cool with that because you're being honest. If you want the truth of God, he wants the truth from you. And in that, any relationship you have, you tell your people you love the most the hardest things because you know they're not going anywhere. And prayer is listening to God, listen to us. God is saying, I get you and I love you. Why is my father, I don't get this, my dad who could be very impatient with me as a kid and would cut my stories, my stories short by going, Mark, get to the point. So, ah, so I'd get to the point. That same man will sit in a chair and listen to our braid and talk for 25 minutes forever not make one inch of progress. And that old man sits in the chair and loves every second of it. What happened? Because my dad has matured and my dad understands that to love his grandson, what his grandson says matters. I wish he'd have known that 30 years ago. But my dad's patient with my son now because my dad realizes he would rather have a boring conversation with someone he loves than an important conversation with someone he doesn't. Make sense? Prayer is sitting with God and dealing with the truth. Third thing, in a personal relationship with God, knowing God means you also have to receive his love. You have to receive it. Now, some of you are gonna roll your eyes. Yeah, God loves me. That's the point. You'd never have taken it. He's asked you out one million times and every time you go, maybe, maybe later, maybe how about another day, it's not convenient. You see, receiving God's love, some of us turn God away because we think our past keeps us from being lovable. And some of us 
turn God's love away because we don't want to commit. We'd rather continue to live as we live and have the fun we have. And I'm here to tell you that until you accept the grace and love of God on your sin and on your truth, you'll know about God and you'll never know God. Jesus did not die so we could have a new set of rules. He died so we could know God well and live in the grace and love of God well. Listen to Jeremiah 31, 34. They will all know me, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Some of you know this and some of you don't. Every world religion, with the exception of Christianity, has this premise. Do good things and God will love you. Christianity says, God loved you when you did no good things. Grace. Love. God went after you. You don't go after God. If you think I've got to get my life figured out and then I'm going to go ask God if he'll love me, I'm telling you right now, the gospel truth is he already loves you. Love him. Because the truth of scripture, the connection in prayer, all reveal that God is for us, not against us. John Owen says, the greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on God is not to believe that he loves you. To reject it based on some human standard. To decide that the temporary happiness of your life means that loving God will ruin that. I'm here to tell you, loving God will do nothing but make you come to life. It's the water and sun on a seed in the soil. It changes everything. It brings hope and goodness. So how do you receive his love? Live as if it's true. Do you have people in your world, maybe you're one of those people, when someone comes up and says, girl, that dress looks good on you, and you go, oh, I'm getting fatter, and I can't, it doesn't even fit anymore, and you ruin it? Do you know how many of us do that to God? God says, I love you. I know, but I'm such an idiot, and I blow it all the time. God goes, I know, don't. Shh. I love you anyway. If we began to live in the love that is true, God will reveal himself deeper and deeper and deeper every moment of our life. Don't let the voices of the world silence the voice of the one who has cried from all creation, I love you. Don't. Listen to the voice you can trust, not the voice you can't. And in a personal relationship with God, knowing God means you express that love. God says, I will write it on their hearts. There is a real connection with love that is not just mental. Truth and love are a good balance because it's based on something you can rely on, but it comes out of you in different ways. If loving your neighbor is difficult, it's because you don't know the love of God. You've not experienced it. But when someone wrongs you and you've been loved by God and someone wrongs you and slanders you and takes you apart and you find this, this part of your body and life that says, I'm gonna love them anyway, that's because the love of God has changed you. We're not that principled to do the hard things unless the love of God changes us. And God doesn't command us to love one another because he can punish us if we don't. God says, I want you to love one another because I'm gonna love you so much that you can't help but love others. If you're a parent, you know what that is. It's that moment that that kid who has got on your nerves all day, you've grounded them 19 times, they can't do anything fun anymore, and they walk by and you still wanna kiss them on the forehead and tell them you love them. How does that happen? Because you've experienced real love and you want to offer grace. And even in the face of truth, God's love is true and God's love is healing and forgiving and full of hope. 
You see, as we begin the series of who God is, every one of us needs to understand he's not hidden. He's out in the open. He's looking at you every day and saying, you are one of my most favorite people ever. And don't look at him and go, no, no, I'm a, no, he knows that. Look at him and say, awesome. And I love you too. And I'm going to be different because of how you loved me. And that's the truth. For some of you today, God has been this distant principle in the corner ready to kick you out. He's not. That's a lie. He has been after you. He's asking you to spend eternity with him. He says, I want to provide for you an escape from your own mistakes, your own sin, your own errors. I want to bring you into my family. I want to love you. I want to call you mine. And you say, yeah, it's going to be hard. And God's like, I get it, grace. But understand my truth. God loves you. And Jesus Christ was the proof of it. And what we celebrated last week, that empty tomb proves to me that every promise God ever made will come true. Truth, grace and love. Jesus Christ showing us who our Father is. If you want to know more about that, around this room are tables with lamps. During our service or after our service, we welcome you to come have a conversation. It'll be as long as you want it to be. We want you to know God is showing us who he is, and we ought to pay attention. Let's stand together.